welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Well, well, Matthew Hooker, Matthew Hooker filed a defamation lawsuit seeking $200 million in damages against actress Nicole Kidman and various media outlets for referring to him as Kidman's stalker. Now, a judge entered a three-year stay-away order against him because of numerous past harassments of Kidman. Uh, He believes the label is going to hurt him for his presidential campaign run. He's 30 years old. He never did quite explain how he planned to fulfill the age requirement of 35 for presidential eligibility. Uh, Isn't the world fun? Welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, the Marital Mondays edition, where I talk about any number of things involving marriage, divorce, separation, custody, all things involving families that go to the court and need resolution. As you know, every time I begin my podcast here with all of you friendly folks, It's incumbent upon me, it's important to me, it's critical to me that I do my best and remind you always to avoid the downs and savor the ups, not just legally, but in life. Wouldn't that be an idyllic situation to always just have good stuff and no bad? Well, you know, the bad makes us better if we look at it from a resilience standpoint, rather than looking at it as being bad, you look at it and say, you know what, that's a challenge. How can I do better next time? I'm going to get right into it rather than my continuing to preach about how life should be. Today, I want to talk about a very interesting concept that is called in the law, the emancipation of minors. The emancipation of minors. What is that? Emancipation is a legal process that enables eligible minors to gain some or all of the rights and statuses that adults hold. In other words, it is the freeing of a minor from parental control. Now, all states have laws dealing with the emancipation of minors, that is, laws that detail and specify when and under what conditions children can become independent of their parents for important legal purposes. I think it's appropriate and necessary to start off by talking about who a child is and who a minor is. So we're not talking about four and five and six-year-old little kids, but they certainly then start to have a brain. um, And that's an interesting thing because studies have shown that our brain doesn't fully develop until we're 22 or 23, but that's another discussion. But they start to have opinions and they start to being able to be doing things on their old, on their own, excuse me, uh, even as early as age 13. So the definition of a minor, just for those of you who are 
are, are uh, counting uh, what I'm going to say. A minor is someone who has not yet reached the age of 18 and as such is supported by a parent or guardian who's responsible for the actions of the child. A minor does not have the rights or the responsibilities of an adult. Now, an example, a minor cannot vote. They can't serve on a jury. They can't get credit in their own name, and they can't enter into legal contracts. Now, someone who turns 18 and continues to be enrolled, say, full-time in high school, is no longer a minor and has the same legal rights and responsibilities as an adult, but the parent or the guardian, in many cases, is still legally obligated to support uh, that child, that minor, until graduation. So I want to come back and talk about, um, you know, what it is that is this emancipation process. All states have laws dealing with it. Laws, again, that specify when and in what conditions children uh, can cut the cord, be independent from their parents. Bye-bye, Dad. Bye-bye, Mom. I'm going out and partying. Well, hopefully that's not where the kid is. The the overall concept of emancipation is one fraught with very, very serious concerns for the minor. And so if the minor is planning to go out on his or her own, besides the obvious, well, where are you going to get money to support yourself from? There's a lot of other things that minors should know. Early emancipation, what minors should know. Even if you are listening to me and you're a minor and you're not in high school and you can support yourself, if you're still a minor and you have not yet finished school, you are not emancipated. Until a court decides you are, your parents must support you and are held responsible for your actions, such as your failure to attend school or any legal contracts you entered into for, say, like a lease or utilities. The the things that I, I think, dear young ones, you need to know uh, about whether or not you want to, to become emancipated. I, I want to go through a little bit of a list here. You know, clearly, I think particularly depending upon the circumstances in the home, it might be a good home and there might be reasons why a minor would want to leave, or it might be a, a terrible situation and a minor feels he or she has to leave. I, I think it's probably true that a lot of teenage kids fantasize about living on their own, you know, put the, uh, put a pair of jeans and, uh, you know, their, uh, their favorite comic books in the knapsack and off they go. In reality, the day-to-day responsibilities can be overwhelming, even, look, face it, even for adults. This doesn't mean there aren't good reasons for moving out and getting emancipated. Minors have to carefully weigh the pros and cons and make an honest assessment of their needs. So, dear young one, if you're listening, before you pursue this process, you should ask yourself whether you should get emancipated in the first place before deciding. Consider some of these things. You're going to have to find and pay for a place to live, which may need to be furnished. You're going to need to pay for your own health care. You're going to have to buy and cook food on your own. You're going to be legally responsible for all the contracts you sign. Mom and dad aren't there to back you up. You may be sued, and you could be held financially responsible. 
being emancipated doesn't entitle you to vote or buy alcohol, by the way. Um, you know, that happens only when you reach a certain age. In most states, it's 18. Now, obviously, every situation is unique, but it may be a good idea to become emancipated from your parents under some circumstances. If you're legally married or if you're financially independent, maybe your parents, unfortunately, are abusive or neglectful or otherwise harmful to you. Maybe you have moral objections to your parents' living situation, or maybe you just simply have been kicked out of the house. So the questions then become, um, if you decide you want to become emancipated, what, what is considered? Um, first, you, you have to meet minimum age requirements by state law. Every state has laws. The state laws are different. A child has to be 14 in California, 16 in Illinois, and 18 in Alabama, where the age of majority is 19. The parents typically have to be notified of, of the emancipation proceeding in the court. Parents may object to the proceeding. Uh, in Illinois, if a parent objects to an emancipation proceeding, it ends the case without emancipation, where in Michigan, a parent's objection uh, will only result in the court possibly dismissing the matter. Now, I say that those two states as examples, and I just want to put a little asterisk by this. I'm not guaranteeing that. That's what I have found. The laws may have since changed since the information that I have in front of me. Emancipation proceedings go through a court. There's a petition. A uh, petition is simply a um, raising my hand, uh, a motion, a form, something that you know any of the court clerks can assist minors with to help them get the process beginning. The court ultimately makes a decision. And a hundred times out of a hundred, a court is always, always going to make a decision based on one factor and one factor alone as the overriding principle. The details come next, but the court is always going to ask, what is in the best interest of the minor? What is in the best interest of this young person looking to go out on his or her own? Courts review evidence presented by the petitioners, and they grant emancipation in cases where there's sufficient proof uh, that circumstances and conduct demonstrate that an emancipation is in the minor's best interest. But let's just review a couple of the things that a court is also going to look at. First, uh, the dreaded green, the dollar, financial support of the minor. Very important criteria for emancipation is how the minor is going to be able to support himself or herself financially, uh, either currently or in the future, without receiving income from mommy and daddy or illegal activities or welfare. You can't become an adult and just say, oh, let's go down to the welfare office. No, that's not the way it works. Where the minor is living is another factor. The court is going to consider if the minor is currently living apart from his or her parents and has made adequate arrangements for future housing if granted uh, this uh, cutting the cord. Decision-making. The judge is going to want to know if the minor can adequately make decisions for himself or herself and may seek evidence from the minor demonstrating good decision-making skills. No, I don't think partying every night and getting looped is going to help your case. Maturity. Clearly, the petition... The, the, the petitioning minor uh, is often required to prove that he or she has sufficient maturity to function 
as an adult. Next is education. Uh, whether the minor is attending school or has already received a diploma can be considered, and it may also impact his or her financial self-sufficiency. Okay, here's a good one. Okay, I like this one. Uh, this is al almost typically a good ticket. Pregnancy. If a pregnant girl is see seeking emancipation, factors such as how she plans to care for herself and the baby and whether she plans to wed the father, uh, and if she does, by the way, that's something that would then be called automatic emancipation, would also be considered by the court. Now, another thing I mentioned earlier, uh, a court is always going to consider the potential of abuse from the minor's parents. What is the home life like? Generally, a court's going to consider the parent's behavior that resulted in the minor seeking emancipation, such as if the child experienced physical sexual or emotional abuse at the hands of the parents who have a legal obligation to care for the child. Factors, again, minor's age, mental and physical welfare of the minor, ability of the parents to provide basic material support uh, to the minor in the form of food, shelter, clothing, medical care. I mentioned mental, mental and physical welfare of the parents. All of these are going to play an important role in establishing a minor's best interest. The courts, as I mentioned, require uh, petitions and they require that, uh, like a courtroom trial that you may see on TV, evidence. And in cases like this, there must be substantial evidence that the emancipation is necessary uh, before deciding to terminate parental rights and responsibilities. This is because the emancipation of a minor by a judicial uh, ruling, a judicial order, a decree, represents a very significant decision that in most cases forever, forever and ever, irreversibly transforms the responsibilities of parents to children, uh, providing for custody and care of those children that parents take on when, when, they, when they have kids. Uh, if a minor has been emancipated is a question of fact uh, to be decided and proved to a satisfaction of a court or a judge, typically clear evidence of circumstances and conducts uh, betraying parental right and responsibility for the care of a child must be established before the court conveys emancipated status for a child. When I come back after the break, I'm going to provide information that someone, parents, children would want to consider a little bit more. I'm going to give you some notable examples of emancipations and denials. Not every time you go to court looking to be emancipated, young man or young lady, uh, is a judge going to say, okay, just because you want it. And I'm saving the best for last. So you got to keep listening after the break all the way through to the end, because I've got a real humdinger for you. If you're thinking about becoming emancipated, you absolutely want to hear this. And if you're a parent and your child is thinking about becoming emancipated, uh, you want to hear this so you can tell them about it. I'll be back after the break. That was funny, wasn't it? A little story right before the break. I try. I like to keep you entertained. Okay, so we're back to this discussion of emancipation and I told you I was going to give you a little bit more to consider and then tell you about some notable cases of uh, children who became emancipated. 
And as I promised, I've got a humdinger for you right at the end before we close this session today. More to consider. Now, I want to introduce you to a concept in the law of parent and child relationships that's called sphere of influence. A child who has moved beyond their parents' sphere of influence is likely to be emancipated. But there are many factors that have to be considered by a court to determine whether or not the child has moved beyond this sphere of influence. These factors include the child's needs, interests, and independent resources, the family's reasonable expectations, and the party's financially, uh, financial abilities, among other things. As apparent from the list of factors, they're very broad, and they can encompass a very large, uh, wide variety of instances. A basic example, here you go, applying the sphere of influence analysis would be a child who is over the age of 18, the age of majority, right? But attends college or another higher education institution full-time. The child does not have a full-time job as they're attending school full-time and may reside with a parent during winter and summer breaks from school. Uh, in this type of case, the child is still within the parent's sphere of influence. Applying the factors mentioned above, uh, just a moment ago, the child has no independent resources of their own. The family likely is expected the child to attend a college, and it's likely in the child's best interest to do so uh, to better their future. Now, that's another discussion, isn't it? There's certainly plenty of people who never went to college who were doing pretty well. But that's the uh, th that's the American plan, isn't it? Yeah, kid, you know, go to college, get a job. All right, well, you know. That's a, like I said, that's another discussion, but it's something that courts take a look at um, rather than being emancipated and having to work and possibly leave school uh, as opposed to being within the sphere of influence of their parents and being allowed to go to school and having mom and dad pay for it. In this type of a situation, the child in question likely will not be emancipated. As the list of factors in determining if a child is inside or outside their parent's sphere of influence is very broad, determining uh, if the kid should be emancipated for the purposes of child support obligations is also very fact-intensive. Considering the nature uh, of this investigation, uh, it suggested that anyone looking to have their child emancipated or to argue against the emancipation of their child should consult an experienced family law attorney. So, you know, during all these podcasts, I keep saying, go to an attorney, go to an attorney, go to an attorney. There's a reason I do that. You know, you may or may not know how to fix your car, but if you get into a jam, you probably want to go to a mechanic. You may or may not be able to do brain surgery. You know, uh, you might be able to do it, but probably not a good idea to do brain surgery on yourself or even to extract your own cavity. You know, go to a dentist. You know, we lawyers sometimes, you know, we're, we're pretty decent folks. You know, I think for the most part, we're very decent folks and going in and just getting, you know, an hour's worth of an attorney's time in a case like this, the separation of a child from the parents. I mean, really what could be more important? What could be more significant? So go pay the attorney's fee, get some information, get some advice. I want to run through some 
some notable cases, uh, depending upon your age, maybe you know some of these names and maybe you don't. But just to give you examples of cases where where notable uh, young people got emancipated from their parents. You remember Drew Barrymore? She had a very troubled childhood that included uh, two stints in rehab. So at 14 years old, she realized she needed to make a change and splitting up from what has been described as her hard partying mother seemed like the adult thing to do. She eventually got emancipated. Macaulay Culkin, remember this guy? Sure. Okay. The battle was brutal. His parents were splitting up. They weren't fighting over custody of the children, but rather who would manage uh, little uh, Macaulay's money. (laughs) Real good. Fed up with all the back and forth, uh, Macaulay was granted emancipation from his parents at age 16, and a family accountant was put in charge of his earnings until he turned 18. Anybody remember Juliette Lewis? At age 14, with the help of her parents, she was legally emancipated so she could act more. She revealed that, uh, she says, I know that sounds all radical, but when you start acting when you're younger, you talk to other actor kids and their moms, and they're like, yeah, if you want to get a job, they like your resume to say emancipated uh, versus minor, because you can then work over eight hours. Okay, cool enough. Courtney Love, remember her? Um, The expression hippie was one that was used in the 1960s, and it's been described that those were her parents. They were hippies. She was emancipated at age 16 and decided to travel throughout Europe, living off of a small trust fund left to her by grandma. Uh, Let's see who else. Alicia Silverstone, while filming the movie The Crush in 1993, She was emancipated from her parents so she could avoid child labor laws in uh, California. Uh, Corey Feldman, remember this little guy? In 1987, at age 15, he was legally divorced from his mom. Uh, I didn't ever see this book before, but he wrote a book, Choreography. Get it? Corey, choreography. He claims his mom physically and mentally abused him. And last but not least, just as an example, Jamie Presley, remember her? A modeling trip came up for for her. She was a model and uh, actress at age 15. Uh, When her parents weren't able to accompany her, she wanted emancipation so she could travel by herself and work. All righty. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier in the first half that um, not every petition for emancipation is granted. I I got some statistics. In in one year in Connecticut, just as an example, there were 110 teenagers involved in emancipation petitions, 68 uh, young ladies, 68 women, uh, and 42 young men. Only a third of them were granted. Less than a third of the petitions for emancipation were granted, 34 out of 110. 25 went to girls So um, you had uh, 68 young ladies looking and only 25, the court said yes. 42 young men looking to be emancipated, only nine, uh, the court said yes. In 38 cases, the petitions were withdrawn. Okay, get this. Uh, Judges there 
in one case, a judge in one case there said that he felt that the parents, especially those with higher incomes, uh, often withdrew petitions when they discovered that the court usually demanded a full investigation of the family. Uh-oh! Yeah, well, let's just get rid of the kid. Oh, they want to see what's going on inside the house? Uh, never mind. Seven of these petitions were outright denied. These statistics show that it's not juvenile delinquents, interestingly enough, and their parents who are flocking to courts for emancipation. Of the 110, only 20 cases involved a teenager with a prior record of delinquency. All righty. So again, there's a lot that goes into this. Now I want to get to that, what I called humdinger. Um, this is this is something that you, you just need to pay attention to this, my friends. What happens if a child has been emancipated, a child, a long, a young lady child, let's say she's 16 years old, and you are interested in dating this young lady who is now on her own. Mom and dad no longer control anything. Well, is it legal to date this young lady? And the answer is yes. You can date anybody you like. You just can't have sex with her. That's called statutory rape. Emancipation only affects the minor's status when it comes to parental supervision requirements. Parents are responsible for the well-being of children until they turn 18. Emancipated minors can sign documents on their own behalf and they can make decisions on their own behalf without needing a parent or guardian, but other age-restricted functions uh, of the state still remain. The drinking age, the driving age, the age of consent. Emancipation pertains to anything which might require a parent or guardian signature such as entering into a rental agreement for an apartment, getting a job, that kind of stuff. It also alleviates the parents of responsibility for the child's actions, but it has nothing to do with, what do they call it, hooking up. If you are a young man and a girl, young lady, says to you that she's emancipated and you want to be with her, I would caution that before you do that, you also find out her age, because if she is under 18, even three days under 18, the act of sex, even consensual, could land you in a heap of trouble. Well, dad, mom, you, mean, you need to make sure that your young lady friend knows that, that your daughter is aware that she can go out with anybody she wants, but She's putting her, her boyfriend in trouble if they have relations until or before she turns 18 years old. That's a red flashing neon sign that you'd think, or you wouldn't think, I guess, you wouldn't think about. Buyer beware. Children beware. Emancipation. Very, very interesting. There's all number of things that have to do with decisions that are made. Ultimately, it becomes the best interest of the child that a court is going to use as the basis overall to make the decision whether or not 
a child seeking emancipation can do this. In the best of circumstances, with everything clicking and everything falling into place, an emancipation can take place. But in many circumstances, it just isn't reasonable. It isn't practical. And so in those situations, family counseling, if that's one of the reasons that there's a problem, uh, might be the appropriate thing. I offered at the beginning that it is well worthwhile to go get an attorney an hour or two of the attorney's time to counsel, to guide, to give you the law, to even assist in the process of filing the appropriate petitions or papers in the court. Young folks, I hope you have a a long and healthy and strong life. And don't ever forget that just because the law says that you and mom and dad are no longer legally obligated and that they don't have responsibilities, don't ever forget they're smarter than you. They're older than you. They have experiences that you don't have. Don't cast them away if you don't have to. Rely on them for all measure of things to help you go through what clearly is, with each passing day, a more and more complicated world and a more and more complicated life. Mom and dad are resources. They can help you in many, many ways. If it is that you have to become emancipated, that doesn't mean you lose their phone number. I hope all of you have enjoyed this show, and we're looking forward to the next one on Wrongdoer Wednesdays. Again, anything that you can think of that you need from me, let me know. I want to be a resource. Best to all of you. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.